the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I'm going to share with you four more principles that will help you to learn how to focus on yourself, how to be the best person that you can be in the relationships of your life. And the first thing out of the four that we'll look at today as we dive right in is this principle. To be the person you need to be in relationship, you have to take personal responsibility for your words, your thoughts, your attitudes, and action. And you are responsible for each of these four areas of life. And if you don't realize that you have a responsibility in these areas, you'll never be able to build the relationships that you desire. One of the greatest gifts that God has given each one of us is the gift of a free will or the gift of making choices, choosing with life. We have a will. We get to make our mind up about what we will say, what we will think, what our attitudes are going to be, and what actions we will take. No one forces you to say things. No one forces you in terms of your thoughts. No one forces you to have certain attitudes or take certain actions. These are choices that you and I make with our own lives. And with these choices come consequences. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, let me read you this passage of Scripture as the Apostle Paul lays this out for us. Uh, Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just the kind of crop he sows. If he sows to please his own wrong desires, he will be planting seeds of evil, and he will surely reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. But if he plants the good things of the Spirit, he will reap the everlasting life that the Holy Spirit Spirit gives, and let us not get tired of doing what is right or planting good seed, for after a while we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't get discouraged and give up. Here we're given a very important principle in Scripture it is the principle of sowing and reaping. So as we expend our energy in terms of our words, our thoughts, our attitudes, and our action. You have to think of every word that you speak as a seed that you're sowing, every thought that you think as a seed that's being sown, every attitude is a seed, every action is a seed, and with it will come the reaping of harvest. Bad words, bad harvest, bad thoughts, bad harvest, bad attitudes, bad harvest, bad action, bad harvest. And so to adjust the harvest of your life or what you reap, you adjust what you sowed. And so we have this responsibility. Let me take you on a journey through several other passages that emphasize our responsibility in these four categories. Psalm 19, verse number 14. The psalmist prays this prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts, notice that, the thoughts from my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my defender. He's praying that God would help him with his words and with his thoughts. Proverbs 15, verse 4 says, 
gentle words cause life and health. Griping brings discouragement. Again, there's the sowing and reaping of our words and the result that happens in relationships. Proverbs 4.23, I love this one. Be careful what you think because your thoughts do what? Run your life. And so your thoughts are the software of your soul. They run your life. Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk or words come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then Philippians 4, verse 8, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what does it say to do? Think about such things. Let that be the focal point of your thinking. So you and I have the power to choose these areas of life. You and I make choices in our relationships, what we will speak, how we will think about them, the attitudes we'll bring into our, our relationships, and the actions that we will take. Whose responsibility is it? It is ours. Now, here's the problem with this. The problem with this is very simple. Many times in these four categories, this is what happens. All of us mess up. Amen? Have you ever thought something in a relationship that you knew was not healthy for that relationship? Has there ever been an attitude you brought or an action you took in a relationship that you just messed up and you realize, I messed up. I didn't do what I needed to do. And so the good thing about the Bible is that it not only tells you what you ought to do, but it also tells you what to do when you mess up. Aren't you glad that God is able to redeem your mess ups? Okay. He's able to give you a fresh start, but you have to follow his pattern. And when you mess up or I mess up in these, either of these categories, the first place we have to deal with it is with God. We have to go to God and own up to God that we've made a mistake, that we have messed up. Now, how do we do that? The psalmist David makes this clear in Psalm chapter 51, the first four verses. Listen to his prayer. He's messed up big time. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba in his thoughts and words and actions. There's been this horrible moment in his life, and so he's owning up to this, and he's going to God with his mess up. Listen to what he prays. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you, and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. David prays this prayer, asking God to forgive him for his mess up, asking God to cleanse him and wash him. And of course, if you study the life of David, you realize that God did forgive him. He gave him a fresh start, a fresh beginning, the opportunity to experience his grace in his life. Now, when we mess up, not only do we need to deal with it with God, but when it comes to relationships, we also have to deal with it with other people. Because if I mess up in my marriage, if I say something to my wife that I shouldn't say or in a way that I shouldn't say it, or if my attitude toward her is wrong, or if I have a bad action toward her in some way, I not only have to deal with it with God, how many do I have to deal with it with her, right? And so I've got to learn how to handle my mess-ups with God, but also how to, how to handle my mess-ups with other people. And the way you handle a mess-up with God is by confessing your sins to Him. The way you handle a mess-up with another person is by doing this, by an apology. Everybody say that word. 
I'm going to teach you today the eight things that are vital in giving a good apology. You better listen closely because you need to learn how to do this. We all do, right? So let's take a walk on this journey. The first thing about a good apology is it expresses genuine sorrow and what? Regret. The key word here is this. You don't give an apology unless you are sincere. A lot of times people will apologize in such an insincere manner that the other person feels like they don't even really mean this at all. And so if you're going to apologize, make sure it's genuine, that you realize what you've done, that you have a sense of sorrow and regret about it starts. That's an attitude inside of you that needs to be expressed. The second thing that relates to a good apology is it is specific. Well, if I did anything wrong, forgive me. I mean, that's not very specific, right? Next thing is communicates an awareness of the negative what? Impact of the wrong action. So in other words, if I'm going to apologize to a person, I need to have a sense of how it affected that person. Let's go to the next one. It is void of ifs and buts. Well, I wouldn't have said that if you'd not said what you said. I would have not said that, but... You know, the ifs and the buts can mess up a lot of apologies, okay? And so what you want to do is you want to get rid of the ifs and get rid of the buts. By the way, that's with one T, just to make sure you understand, okay? okay. Get rid of those from your apologies. You don't want to be using those words because as soon as you use them, what happens is you're actually draining the power out of the apology. Let's go to the next one. Here we go. It provides context and explanation without excuses. Sometimes it's important to provide a little bit of context when you're giving an apology. Sometimes you don't need a context. You were just being mean, okay? But sometimes a context really helps to provide an understanding, but make sure that you're not doing it with a sense of providing some level of an excuse. And then make sure it's presented how? Humbly. We basically already talked about that one. The next one, it seeks what? A good apology always seeks reconciliation and repair. Here's a little hint for you. If you give an apology to someone and it makes the relationship worse, you probably did not do a very good job giving the apology, okay? So a good apology has a tendency to bring the relationship together. Now, it's not going to work with everybody. Some people are not going to be happy no matter what you do. You can apologize a million times and do it the right way, but they're going to just be obstinate. But generally speaking, a good apology begins to bring about healing. As soon as I say to my wife, honey, I am so sorry about the way that I spoke to you. I realize it was a harsh way to say it. I know it hurt your feelings. I had some things going on this morning. That's not an excuse. I should never have done that. Would you please forgive me? What did that do to the relationship? It allowed me now to connect once again. It brought us back together. It didn't add distance. It brought us closer together with one another. So it should seek reconciliation and repair. And then the last one here, it doesn't demand what? Forgiveness. It only requests it. You can never make somebody forgive you. Nor can you demand forgiveness from someone else. I'll tell you why. Because what, is, what word is at the center of forgiveness? Anytime you experience forgiveness, it is always a gift. When God forgives you, he doesn't forgive you because you deserve to be forgiven. 
He doesn't get, forgive you because you demand to be forgiven. Every time God forgives you, it's a gift from God. You ought to raise your hands and thank God. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to me and your forgiveness. It's just a gift that you've given to me. And any time another person forgives you, that's a gift too, right? First thing I want us to realize that when you talk about uh, focusing on yourself is to take responsibility for your words, for your thoughts, for your attitudes, and for your actions. When you mess up, what do you do? You go to God and make it right with Him. And then you also learn how to apologize well to the people in your life, to learn how to effectively say, I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Let's practice that together. I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. The next one, you ready for the next major thing today? Here we go. You've got to replace Focusing on you, you've got to replace reactions with responses. For your relationships to go well, you've got to change these things, reactions, and change them out for responses. What is a reaction? A reaction is an emotional moment that you don't think about. Your emotions take over. So the difference between a reaction and a response is a reaction is just emotional drama that happens, but a response is you have to consider what you're going to do. You have to think about it before you do it, okay? So time out before I say this back to them, I'm going to step back for a moment. I'm going to think about what I'm going to say before I say it. I'm going to think about what I'm going to do before I do it. Responses are very different from reactions. Let me take you to a verse of Scripture that shows us the difference between reactions and responses. It's in Romans chapter 12. Uh, We'll read uh, verses 17 through 21 from the New Living Translation. Never pay back evil with more evil. That's reaction, right? Okay. Never pay back more evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. That's a response. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That's a response. Dear friends, never take revenge. Revenge is a reaction, okay? Leave that to the righteous anger of God. So leave that as a response. Are you with me here? Let's go further. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, what do you do? Now that is a response. Because if your enemies are hungry, your reaction would be, make them hungrier. Right? (laughs) If your enemies are thirsty, do what? Give them something to drink. And so you're seeing here, instead of reacting, choose to respond to the situation appropriately. And then it goes on to say, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil, read with me, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That is, choose your responses. And so what I want to do is I want to teach you over the next few moments how to choose your responses, okay? A moment ago, I taught you how to apologize. Now I'm going to teach you how to choose your responses. Here's the word picture that I want you to get. That when you're about to react to something, instead of reacting, you say, I'm going to respond instead. So here's what I need to do when I'm about to react. I need to breathe. Everybody say breathe. So I'm going to give you an acronym based upon breathe that will tell you exactly what to do. And you can do this in about 10 to 15 seconds, okay? About 15 seconds at the most, you can walk through these things and you can breathe. How many you know that when it's in a relationship, it's worth about 10 to 15 seconds before you do or say something you shouldn't do or say, right? Amen? Okay. 
So how can I take about 10 seconds here, 15 seconds before I react so that I will respond? So I'm going to give you the acronym BREATHE. And with each of these points, I'll help you to know what to do. To breathe, you have to first of all become more self-aware, okay? What am I feeling right now before I react? What's going on inside of me? Let me stop for a minute. Let me think what's happening to me. Okay, right now, I really feel like yelling at her, okay? Because I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm mad. You begin to identify what's going on inside of yourself. So you stop for a moment and you think about what's going on with me. Before you blast it out, you become aware of what's happening inside of you. That's called breathing, okay? The next one is you've got to recognize reactive patterns. This is important. Reactive patterns in your relationships. What does that mean? Okay, time out. Okay, wait. Before we get into this again, have we been down this pathway before? Okay. You know, in many marriages, people are still arguing about the same thing they argued about 10 years ago. Okay. And when something comes up, they just fall right back into that pattern again. They're back into that same argument they've had a million times, and it's never been resolved in the past. And we always go through this, this dance back and forth. You say this, and I say that, and then you say this, and I say that, then you say this, and I say that. And then we, have, we, we go to our different corners for two or three days, and we're okay again. Okay? There are patterns. And so you have to stop for a minute and say, what can we do to break? If there's a pattern here, what can we do to break the pattern? So you have to identify what's going on in me, and then is there any pattern? Pattern here that I need to be aware of so I don't just fall into the pattern because that's what reaction is you just you just fall into the pattern okay next one here the e you have to enter the world of others let me stop here let me think what I wonder what he or she is feeling right now okay before I I react I wonder what they're feeling well they probably are ready to yell at me too okay they probably have some things going on in, inside of them. So let me get in their shoes I know what I'm feeling like now in my boots let me get in his or her boots before I react here. Let me respond. The next one, the A, stands for this. Aim to do what? Show Jesus. None of us can have Jesus in our home if you don't have Jesus in your heart. Okay? Jesus doesn't just mysteriously show up in your home. Jesus shows up in your home when he's ruling in your heart. Amen? So when Jesus is ruling in your heart, it means, okay, in this situation, what would Jesus want me to say? Okay? What would Jesus want me to do? You know, a few years ago, we had those little bracelets, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, whether you wear a bracelet or not, it should be something inside of you that says, well, what would Jesus do? I need to show Jesus here. I need to make sure that I'm trying to, to, to respond in a way that, that is indicative of who Christ is and what he means to me. And so I'm going to bring Jesus into our house by letting him rule in my heart in this moment. The next one, the T, throttle down your emotions throttle down because your emotions are revving up and so you've got to throttle them down you've got to pull down your emotions in this moment some of you say i i i can't do that pastor but when my emotions start going they just take off and i can't control my emotions yes you can you can do this okay you can do this but you have to be willing to it's called not reacting but rest- responding instead okay what does the h stand for Hush your mouth. One of the best things you can do to just get out of the reaction to the response is just just don't say anything right now, okay? Because chances are what you're going to say right now is not going to be good, okay? The best thing you can do is just, just step back for a moment and keep your mouth shut 
and not get yourself into trouble, not get, not cause, you know, I, I remind people from time to time, every place you go in life is you have two buckets with you. Think of it that way, two buckets, a bucket of water and a bucket of gasoline, okay? And when things happen in your life, through your word, you can throw water on it, or by your response of simply not saying anything, you can, you can deflate the situation or you can throw gasoline on it and inflate the situation or ignite the situation. But everywhere you go, always think just metaphorically, I've got two buckets with me. Will I use my bucket of water or will I use my bucket of gasoline? Will I make it worse or will I make it better? Okay, let's go to the next one. Last one here, E, do what? Extend what? Grace. So what you want to do is to make sure that the same grace that you want to experience in your life, you extend grace in that environment. So again, you've got something that happens in the relationship. It's all about you right now. What do you need to do? I need to breathe. Okay, right? I need to breathe. I've got to be aware of what's going on with me. I've got to pay attention to any patterns that are happening here. I've got to walk through that process. I've got to take about 10 or 15 seconds here. And I've got to get myself because I want to consider what I'm going to do or say next before I just react to it in the wrong way. And so those are choices that you will make. Let me cover two final things. We'll be done today. We're just about done. Two final things I want to mention in the message. You have to develop also, if you're going to focus on yourself, you have to develop a personal growth plan. You need to be a growing person yourself. The thing that you never want to be in life is stagnant. That's why I'm so happy to see you at church today that because you're in the house of God, you're learning, you're growing, you're getting these principles, you're making a decision to grow in your life. And always when you're growing, always seek to grow together. Don't, a lot of people say, well, we just grew apart. Well, don't grow apart, grow together, okay? Find ways to grow together. Don't let your relationship cause you to grow apart. Find things that will cause you to grow together. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, I'm going to emphasize one particular word here, but what? grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Obviously, he's talking about our spiritual growth there. But what I want you to see is any kind of growth in your life is your responsibility. No one can make you grow. There's an implied pronoun in this verse. The implied pronoun is you. You grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I can't make you grow. Your husband or wife can't make you grow. No one else can make you grow. It's a choice that you will make in your life. And I will promise you this. Listen closely. You will be a lot happier. You'll be a lot happier person if you're a growing person. Because you're growing in maturity. You're growing in knowledge. You're growing in wisdom. And the final thing that I'll give you today Uh, when we talk about it all being about you, is to make sure that you have time for personal refreshment and renewal, that you're refreshing your own life and that you're renewing your life. And this is your responsibility to do this. No one else can do this for you. The problem with many marriages is you have two depleted people trying to build a relationship. Two people are just so worn out they don't have any energy to give to the relationship, and they're never refreshing themselves and renewing themselves. And because of that, they don't bring anything to the relationship. You can't give what you don't have, right? You can't give what you don't have. And so you need to have a pattern in your own life where you're making sure that you're getting refreshed and that you're getting renewed on a regular basis. Listen, even Jesus did this. 
Think about it. Even Jesus made sure that he was refreshed and renewed. I'll prove this to you through two passages that we will conclude with today. I want you to notice Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Here's the ministry of Jesus. He's beginning his teaching ministry. And the Bible says that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus did what? He got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he did what? where he prayed. That is, he says, I, before I do anything today, I've got to get along with my heavenly father because I need to be strengthened. I need to be refreshed. I need to be built up so I'll have something to give to others. That's why you need your time with God because your time with God, your personal time with him brings strength to your life and brings refreshment to you. Another example from the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says that when he came, this is of Jesus here, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, please notice this phrase, as, what's the phrase there? As usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. On any Sabbath day, where would you find Jesus? Where? At the synagogue, on the Sabbath, engaging with the Scriptures, okay? That is, in Jesus' life, he never missed church, okay? He made that a part of his life. Why? Because not just as a formal religious thing that he did, but he realized this is something that I need. Even as the Son of God, he made it a pattern of his own life that, as usual, he was always in God's house for the sake of receiving the Scriptures that brought strength to his life. And so if you're going to be the person God wants you to be in your relationships, you've got to make sure that you're doing what you need to do to stay refreshed and renewed and revived in your life. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Who does the news media turn to when it comes to... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.